0: that they're doing there in the office and how we might be able to participate in growing God's kingdom. Let's make you feel welcome. It is good to be with you today. Uh, it's my first time to be at your church and I've been looking forward to it. Uh, sorry my wife cannot be here today. She's uh, active and busy in the church that we are members of uh, this weekend so uh, maybe next time we can get her down here as well. In 1960, my parents went to Ethiopia as missionaries. The first two years that they were there, they lived in a 9 by 12 tent. And uh, it was in a very remote area of Ethiopia. Uh, The very uh, much tribal people, the men who were warriors, filed their teeth down to a point as a sign of bravery. And uh, it was just kind of a very remote, backward area of Ethiopia. And uh, soon after that, I was born, uh, and, and thankfully in a hospital... And uh, then my parents took me back up to the village where they lived, and the ladies wanted to see this newborn baby. They had never seen a baby from America. And they wondered, does it have ten fingers, ten toes? You know, are all, everything the same? And so uh, she took me up to the village. About 30 ladies lined up uh, to come by, and she held me out there, and they all came by and did something that she was not expecting. They all came by and spit on me. Now, after the first one, she wanted to turn and run, But she thought, for me to be able to witness to them in the future, I probably need to stay here. So she held me out there for all 30 of them to come by. Now, I'm sure glad I wasn't old enough to know what was going on. But when she told me the story as I was older, I said, Mom, was I really that ugly that that they did that? And she said, No, they did that for two reasons. Number one, they believe that is their way of giving their blessing on a newborn baby. Now, I don't know if I would agree with that, but that's what they believe. It's a blessing. The second reason why they do that is to keep evil spirits away. They live in great fear of evil spirits. And so they do all kinds of things to appease them or to keep them away. And this is one of them with their babies when they're very young. And uh, so this is what I grew up. Actually, that was my first cross-cultural experience. Uh, Thankfully, I didn't know what was going on. But as I grew up in Ethiopia and I saw my parents witnessing to these people and people who came to Jesus Christ, leave uh, their fear of the devil and come to freedom in Christ. It was an amazing transformation for me to see as a young man. This really impacted me and, and I began to understand this is what missions is all about. This is why missionaries go to the mission field. This is why people pray for them. This is why people in churches like this give so that missionaries can go. And it was amazing to see people's lives changed by presenting them Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's why I grew up in Ethiopia and then later in Kenya. Also had the opportunity to see my parents reach people in Kenya. We had to leave Ethiopia because of communism. Went to Ethiopia. My parents started several other churches, reached many people for Christ, discipled them. Again, I saw the same thing happen, and I realized the importance of missions. Then it came back when I was in college that I surrendered my life to be a missionary. In fact, one of the preachers got up and said in our missions emphasis week, he said, If God hasn't called you to America, then you need to go somewhere else. And that's exactly the way I felt. I'd, I'd grown up in Africa all my life, and I, I didn't feel as comfortable in America, being, have not lived here very long. And, and so I went forward that day, and I said, God, I want to go anywhere that you want me to go. And I surrendered my life to serve him. I met my wife there in college, and uh, we, were, we got married in 1985. We went to Kenya in 1988 as missionaries with the Baptist Bible Fellowship, served there for 10 years on the field. And uh, then we were asked to come back to the States and work in the mission office. And so we did that now for some time. And 11 years ago, the pastor selected me to be the mission director. And so, as Brother James said, I work with uh, a lot of churches and pastors across the country, missionaries around the world. I get to visit them and uh, then also work with 19 people in the mission office. And we do many different things to serve our missionaries and to help our churches. And I appreciate your support. I appreciate your support of the mission office because we don't charge the missionaries. We don't charge the churches for the services we do. We operate by faith just like the missionaries do. So we appreciate your support and it's wonderful to be here with you today. Turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now imagine with me this morning that you do not live... In the United States, let's go all the way to China. Let's say that you live out in the Himalaya Mountains, toward the in the in the remote areas of China. You're one of the minority groups they would call them, and you live out there, and and you've un, you've been under communism most of your life, and they teach you there is no God, there is no religion, <coughs> and so you you understand that to be the way of life. There's no freedom. Uh, you've seen persecution of people who. Uh, something about began to worship God, and but they you don't see them anymore. They've been persecuted, and they've they've been taken away. And so you realize there's got to be something else in life. You go to your so-called spiritual leader and he opens this book and he chants poems and says things that you don't even understand and you think there's got to be something more to life surely there's meaning in life but where would i find it where would i know what life is really all about and where can i have these problems these things i know i do wrong where can i have them forgiven or taken away how would i do that Or let's say that you're living in ethiopia And uh, as I said, they live in great fear of the devil, and and, uh, the the chief has come to you and said, bad luck has come upon our tribe. And so we have chosen your infant baby to be the one to be the sacrifice, and you are to uh, throw the baby into the river to the crocodiles so that Satan will be pleased and bad luck will leave our village. When they come to you, what would you do? Where would you turn to for guidance? Is this really the truth? Is this really what life is like? Do I have to give my baby like this? Surely there's got to be something else in life for me. But where would you find it? Where would you find it? Or let's say that you live in Thailand. You live in Thailand and you worship Buddha. Your parents have worshipped Buddha. Your grandparents worshipped Buddha. And you're told that if you go pray to this golden statue that you'll get prosperity and you'll get good health. And you've been doing that for years and still prosperity hasn't come your way. In fact, your wife has cancer and is getting worse and worse. And yet every day you go to this statue and you wash your hands in so-called holy water. And you light the candles and the incense and you pray on this one side for health. And you're praying and praying, but yet there's no change. Where can you find the truth? Where can you find someone who you could really pray to that would hear your prayers? Because surely this statue is not helping you. Where would you go to find the truth? Or let's say that you live in Kenya, and you're married, and you don't have any children, and the community kind of looks down upon you because you don't have children. The average family in Kenya has eight children, and so they kind of mock you and make fun of you, and so as you're working as a husband in the city, your wife's back in the country Uh, overseeing your farm little little lot of land and uh, you send money back to her to take care of things so she decides to take things into her own hands she goes to the witch doctor she goes to the witch doctor and says I can't bear a child can you help me he says oh yes I can but first you've got to pay this certain amount of money and so she saves up this money and gives it to the witch doctor Then he says, here's what you must do. You must find someone who is old and sick in your village, and you must poison them and kill them. And when they die, you'll give birth to a child. Because before a a life can come into the world, a life must leave the world. And so she does. She finds someone who is old and sick and poisons them and kills them. Still, a year later, no, no child. Now the village finds out what you've done, and they've chased you away. Where would you go to to find true meaning in life, an answer to the problems that you have, uh, 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 things that can, someone that can help you and listen to you and give you the truth? Where would you go? Let's do one more. Let's say that you live in India, and uh, you went, you've gone to your spiritual leader, and he says, this is what you must do to, to, to get strength in life and answers in life. You must pray to this little God made of wood. And so you pray to this God of wood, and things just don't seem to be going well for you, and things have not changed. And so uh, you, you go back to your spiritual leader. He says, well, you, what you must do is deny yourself before this God. Well, what does that mean? Well, you must diminish yourself before it. You must beat yourself, hurt yourself, cut yourself before this little God. Then it lifts it up above you, and it will answer your prayers. And so you do this, and nothing changes. You go back to your spiritual leader. He said, okay, well, why don't you try this other god made of stone? Try this god of stone. Maybe this one will be able to help you. You do the same things with this god, and yet nothing changes in life. And you think there's got to be someone, another god or something that can help me. And you find out in your religion of Hinduism, there's 330 million gods. When would you find the right one? And so you desperately seek And desperately search for someone to help. May I remind you this morning that every one of these stories I've told you are true about people around the world. We are in spirit in in a war of spiritual darkness. And so we have to do all we can to bring people to the light of Jesus Christ. They are being deceived by the devil. All these things that these people are doing and looking for to find the answers are the deceits of Satan himself. Satan's goal is to keep them from seeing the light of Jesus Christ. And so he works very hard. He is ruthless in trying to deceive them. And that is why we must be serious about world missions today. That's why we need to do all that we can to help these people hear of Jesus Christ. So I ask you today... How is your commitment to the Great Commission? The Great Commission is this, given to us by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said in Matthew 28, go ye and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so God's with us. This is the commission. He's given it to you as a church. And so how is your commitment to this commission that he has given us? Is it active? Are you involved? Are you witnessing? Are you praying for your missionaries? Are you giving so that the gospel can go around the world? Are you involved in it? You see, when you participate, God works. And many things happen around the world. Recently, I was in a meeting in Korea, and I met a Vietnamese pastor, and he was so excited because the gospel had come to him in Vietnam, and now he's a pastor reaching his own people. I said, tell me your story. He said, oh, a missionary from Cambodia came to Vietnam and shared the gospel with my family, and I got saved, and today I am a pastor reaching my own people. I said, wow, that's wonderful, a missionary from Cambodia. How did that happen? He said, a missionary from the Philippines went to Cambodia and led a family to the Lord, and one of the young men surrendered to be a a missionary, and he came to Vietnam and brought the gospel to me. I said, wow, that's amazing. A missionary from the Philippines. I said, well, what happened before that? He said, a missionary from the United States went to the Philippines, led this family to the Lord. A young man from that family surrendered to be a missionary to Cambodia, went to Cambodia, took the gospel there, family got saved. Young man from there went to Vietnam, and I got saved, and now I'm leading people to Christ. That's what happens when we give to missions. When we give to missions, God's doing some amazing things around the world. Now, we are taught in the Bible to give by faith so that others can go. In fact, we expect our missionaries to go by faith, and so I think we ought to give by faith. And it's amazing to know that our missionaries, it's taking longer and longer for them to raise their support, to go as missionaries. They've already been trained. They've been through BBC. They're ready to go as missionaries, and yet it takes a while to raise their support. I believe it's because people are not giving by faith. So that our missionaries can go. Missionaries are asked to live by faith. I think that we ought to support them by faith. Now I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'll read verses 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or to understand of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now, Paul is speaking about the Macedonians, the church in Macedonia, and how they had given. And so, first of all, he talks about their attitude of giving. What was their attitude of giving? He uses three expressions to show and share with us their attitude of giving. First of all, he talks about the abundance of their joy. Out of the abundance of their joy, they wanted to get the gospel out. They knew that others had not heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they said to Paul and the others, we want to give so that you can go. It's exciting for us to be involved in this great endeavor. We want to be a part of missions. And so with great joy they gave. And then it also says in verse 2, the riches of their liberality. They were very generous in their giving. They didn't have very much to give. I'll share with you about that in a minute. They didn't have very much to give, yet they were generous and they gave to the Lord. In spite of their circumstances, they wanted to participate in getting the truth of Jesus Christ around the world. And then notice in verse 4 it says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. In other words, they begged us. to to, to accept their gift. They begged to give. They wanted to do so much for them to get the gospel out. They realized that it wasn't their obligation or duty. It was something they wanted to do. They loved to do. They said, yes, so many people still need to hear the gospel. And so please let us participate in your ministry. Please let us help you take the gospel to other regions of the world. It's amazing to me, but I don't, I don't Remember too many times, Pastor, when people have come and said, Pastor, can we take up another offering? Please let us take up another offering because we want to give more. But that's what it was like. They said, please, can we give you more? Can we do something to help you? They pleaded for the opportunity. That was their attitude. And then Paul describes how they gave. Notice in verse 5, it says, they gave of themselves. And this they did not as we had hoped. In other words, they did even greater they first gave of their own selves. They knew that everything belonged to God. They knew that everything belonged to God, and so they just gave it all. They said, God, here I am. Use me, whatever I have. God wants you more than he wants your possessions and your investments and, and all those kinds of things. He wants you because he knows when you, he has you, then he knows that you understand everything belongs to him. These people, they gave of themselves themselves. And then notice they also gave sacrificially. They gave sacrificially, generously, out of their affliction and deep poverty. Uh, We see in verse 2 it says, uh, in verse 2 how they gave in great trial of affliction. Now these churches were afflicted and financially depleted. Rome had overtaken their area and had taxed them heavily had come in and taken all the silver and gold from their land and taken it back to Rome. They cut down most of their trees and used them to build ships for their navy. In fact, many of the people were losing their jobs because at that particular time and area, they were making idols and so these people would not make idols and they lost their jobs. So they were financially depleted. It was, they were struggling. It was not easy for them and yet their attitude was with joy. They pleaded to give. Notice what it says in verse 3. It says in verse 3, 4, to their power. It says, according to their power, they gave. They gave of what they had out of their own ability. But notice what it says in the rest of that verse. It says, and, be, and yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. In other words, they gave beyond their power. By faith, they prayed and asked God, God, I want to do more, and you're going to have to supply it. So I'm going to trust in you. And above their power, God gave and supplied through them, and they did more for the apostle Paul and others as they sent the gospel around the world. They were willing to stretch themselves by faith, trusting God to provide their every need. Then number three, Paul reminds them of the harvest principle. Notice in chapter 9 and verse 6, the harvest principle. Chapter 9 and verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, shall also reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now here's the principle. The seed that you sow will determine the amount that you reap. And so as a church, if you give a little bit, you're going to reap a little bit. But if you give a lot, you'll reap a lot. Now here's one of the keys for your church to even do greater than you've done before. I know this is a very strong missions-minded church, and I praise God for you. But you know what's going to really help you go over the top? Every one do something. We have the one theme. Everyone, I think every one of you ought to do something for missions. You say, well, I don't have a lot. That's okay. Just give it to God, and God will do the miraculous with it. So give it to God, every one of us. And when you do, you'll be sowing so much more, and you'll reap more around the world. It's amazing that we have to encourage Christians to give to God's work when God has given us so much. He unsparingly gave his only begotten Son. Surely we ought to be willing to give to his work. Number four, Paul reminds them of God's promise. Paul reminds them of God's promise, chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, and ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. It says God's going to help you and be able to make anything he wants you to do to happen. He can make it happen. The three words that I love in this verse is God is able. Now, do you believe our God is a great God? Say amen. Well, that's good. There's about 25 of you, I think, that believe that. No, I know you all do, but let me hear it a little bit louder. Do you believe that God is, our God is a great God? Say amen. 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 He created the universe. Everything that we see He has created. He's allowed. He has made happen. And so we can depend upon God to see him do some great things because God is able. Young people can give to missions. Elderly can give to missions. Everyone in between can give to missions because God is able to make all things happen. God is able to make it happen the way that he wants it to happen. Now, as I've traveled around churches, I have found that God uh, gives in unique different ways. Uh, through people. I've talked to pastors, uh, how they've seen God give through people. I've talked to missionaries. I've talked to church members and asked for their testimonies. And so I found that it, 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 uh, these three areas are how you can pretty much describe how God uses people to give to missions. He uses the unusual and unexpected provision. He uses budgeted giving And he uses creative strategies for giving. And so I want to share some of these with you this morning. First of all, God uses the unusual and unexpected provision. There was a Bible college student in a church, and uh, they were having their missions conference. And at the end of the conference, he felt very impressed to do something for missions. And so he prayed and asked God, God, what would you have me to do for missions? And so God laid an amount on his heart that he felt was really something that he ought to do. And so he committed to give $50 a month to missions. Boy, he was excited about that, not really sure how it was going to happen. But he thought, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to make it happen. God will supply. And so later on in a couple of weeks, he was out to lunch with one of the businessmen of the church. And he was still excited about what he had committed. And he told the man, I committed to give $50 every month this year to missions. And the man said, "Uh, I don't understand how you can do that. I know you're a Bible college student. You don't have a lot of money. How in the world are you going to do $50 a month? He said, I don't know, but I believe that's what God's going to do, and I'm just trusting in him. The businessman reached into his coat, pulled out his checkbook, wrote a check for $600, and said, here's your faith promise for the year. God supplied in in, in an unusual and unexpected way. Do you believe God can do that? Oh, yes, he can do it. I'm sure some of you have experienced that. Totally unusual and unexpected. There was a woman in Alabama. She was living on a retirement income. At the close of the missions conference, she was convinced that she ought to give $20 a month. And so she promised to give $20 for the month. After she uh, had given that, another week or two had gone by, and she received a letter from a man she did not remember, did not know. She opened it up and read inside, and this is what the letter said. It said that when I was a young boy, I had thrown a rock through your living room picture window. And recently, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. The Holy Spirit has convicted me of what I've done. And here's a check for $300. Enough and more to cover her faith promise giving. God supplied through an unusual and unexpected provision. Recently, I was in a church, and a, a single mom came up and shared with me her testimony. She said, I committed to give something to missions, and I was excited about it, and I knew that it was going to be a stretch, but I wanted to do it, and I did. She said, on Monday, I went to work, and they called me into the, to the boss's office, and I was really nervous, wondering, uh-oh, I just made this promise, and now what's going to happen? And when I went in they sat down. They said, we appreciate all that you've been doing, and so we're going to give you a raise. And it was the exact amount that she had promised to give in Faith Promise Missions. Now, that doesn't, that's not how it always happens. So don't put an amount down and say, tomorrow I'm going to go get a raise. It, but God can do it. He has done it that way with people. I met a young lady who uh, was a waitress, and she said, everything that I make in tips, I give to missions. That's what I do. Because it's an unusual, unexpected provision that God brings my way. And so God uses that means as well. You know why these people give to missions? Because there's people that are in darkness, needing the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, in Thailand, there's a large temple that I heard about, and and uh, thousands of people line up every day to go into this temple. And there's nine pink coffins inside them. Nine pink coffins. And these people line up, and they go. And what they tell them to do is they say, when it's your turn, you get inside one of those coffins and you lay down in it and the monk will chant some kind of prayer over you, and then you get out of that coffin, believing now that your problems and all your sins are gone, you're a new creation. That's what they believe. You see, what they're looking for can only be found in Jesus Christ. And that's why people give to missions. God also uses budgeted giving. The first step is the same. You pray and ask God, God, what would you have me to do for missions this year? Once that amount is determined and you make that commitment, then you place it in your budget. In fact, this is the way my wife and I do it. We promise to give our tithe. We give our tithe, and then we give our faith promise right after that. And you say, well, where where does faith come in on that? Our faith comes in that God will take care of the rest of our needs. And so we put it in our budget, believing God's going to take care of it. And we pray for him to do that, and it's amazing how he always does it. There was a nurse who lived on a modest income. She had been challenged to give to missions, and she accepted that challenge. And she promised to give $25 a month to missions. And so she put it into her budget right after the tithe, then the missions, and she prayed and asked God to supply all the needs that she has and all the bills. And every month, he did. In fact, a few years later, she had increased her giving. She was now giving $300 a month on the same salary. Someone asked her, how in the world do you do that? She said, I'm just living by faith. I put it in my budget. Every year I've increased and increased, and God still stretches everything and takes care of my needs. And so I give more to him every time. Put it in your budget and watch God take care of you and meet your needs. She was willing to live simply that others might simply live. Why do these people give? Because people are in darkness. You can go to Cambodia. I was there just a couple years ago walking down the street, and I saw on the side of the street all these men selling birds. They had these cages with, uh, with uh, birds in them. And, uh, and so I said uh, to the missionary, what are, these, what are these birds? What are they here for? And he said, well, these are, these are birds that people come and buy, and then they, they get these birds, and they pray, their, they pray over these birds, and they confess their sins. And then they let them fly away, and they believe that when they've done that, all their sins fly away with the bird, and they're gone. Can I remind you this morning, what they are looking for can only be found in Jesus Christ. And Satan is trying to trick them to do all these other things so they don't come to him. The third thing that God uses is creative strategies for giving creative strategies for giving. Creative things that we can do to generate extra income so that we can give to missions. And I know Americans are very creative and and can come up with all kinds of things to do. I've seen that as I've traveled around the world, uh, around the U.S. Uh, I I met one of these young ladies, a 13-year-old girl. She had made a faith promise of $10 a month. 13-year-old girl, $10 a month. Her grandmother had taught her how to crochet And so every year she would make ornaments for Christmas trees and she would sell them to friends and family and neighbors and she would make enough every year to fulfill her faith promise commitment. She used a creative strategy to generate income to give to missions. I think a lot of people can do that. There was an overweight salesman. An overweight salesman, he made a faith promise that added up to $1,000 for the year. That's what he was going to give. $1,000 for the year. After the service, he was driving home And uh, it's like a question came to his mind that said, how in the world are you going to do that? And he began to think about what he spends on lunch. And so he said, for this next year, I'm going to save, I'm not going to eat lunch, and I'm going to take that much money and give it to Faith Promise every year. At the end of the year, he had given more than $1,000, and he lost 50 pounds. Now, I call this the Faith Promise Mission Diet. You know, we got all kinds of diets out there around the world. This is the Faith Promise Missions Diet. You ought to try it. It might work for you. Why do people do this? Because people around the world are in spiritual darkness. They need to hear of Jesus Christ. I was in Quito, Ecuador, and the missionary there took me into a large cathedral. And I looked up on the side, and I saw something that I was amazed to see. And I took a picture. There's a picture of Mary hanging on the cross with nails through her hands and through her feet. May I remind you this morning, Mary is not the one who died on the cross for your sins and for mine and the sins of the world. It was Jesus Christ. But Satan is doing things like this to keep people from seeing the truth. And so that's why people give to missions so they can hear the truth and see the light of Jesus Christ. The point is this, God is not limited. He can enable you to meet your commitment however he wants you to meet it. Sometimes he chooses to do it through an unusual or unexpected way. Other times he wants you to put it in your budget and plan it out. And then also he may want you to be creative and generate extra income so people around the world can hear the gospel. I know there are stories like this in this church. It happens when you give your life to him. Say, God, I want to be used. I want to be used. Do you have a testimony like any of these? Do you have a testimony where you can say you've seen God work in your life to give to missions so that others, like in Taiwan and Thailand, can hear about Jesus Christ? Do you have a testimony like one of these? When you participate, you're making a difference. I've had people say, yeah, but if I just give $5 or $10 a week or a month, that's just not very much money. That's okay. Little is much when God is in it. And so when you say, I just give this little amount, and you put it together with all the others in this church, you put all that money together, and you send it to the missionaries, a lot of it through our mission office, and then all the other churches across America, they're sending it through our office as well. Last year, $38 million came through our office. Thirty-eight million dollars. You're part of something big. And so you say, well, it's not a lot. It doesn't make any difference. Yes, it does. When you put it all together, then we send it to the missionaries, and God takes it and does the miraculous, and he multiplies it, and people get saved, then what you have given, you've made a difference around the world. Giving to missions is exciting. Things happen. In fact, the missionaries have reported in the last few years The last few years, you've seen on the screen here, professions of faith, 355,470 saved outside of the United States in the last couple years. Amen? Things are happening. Uh, Leaders in training, 10,000 are being trained right now to go out in in ministry. And then how many new Bible studies and missions have been started? 6,483. New churches, new churches established in the last couple years, 1,774. God is working, and when you give to missions god 's working and doing great things, and big things happen. You can make a difference. A few years ago, I was in China, and I was visiting uh, in Shanghai, and I met some believers and it was a man and his two sisters, and they began to tell me their story and They said how many years ago in the late 1930s they were they were elderly 1930s they were there and uh, And our first mission director, Fred Donaldson, was there as a missionary. The Japanese had invaded and were killing a lot of the Christians that were in China. In fact, these uh, people began to tell me about their dad. They took Bibles and tied them around his neck and lit them on fire and burned them to death. They killed their mother. But the day before they died, the dad gave the children a book. It was a Bible. And he said, this book will show you how to find me again one day. And so the young boy took that Bible with him, was separated from his sisters at another concentration camp, and uh, there he began to read the Bible and understood more salvation, and he prayed and asked God to save him. Because that was such a great thing in his life, he was able to get that Bible to his sisters, they read it, and they also trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now I'm meeting them when they're in their 70s, early 70s. And they began to tell me that story. And as they told that story, my, I was just weeping. This is amazing. I can't, It's just exciting to see how God works. And then they reached into this bag, and they pulled out, and they gave me this Bible. And they said, please take that to America and tell people, please give to missions because it makes a difference. We are saved today because you sent the missionary. You sent the missionary. And so God can enable any way That he wants. When God calls you and wants you to help in world missions, what is your response? What is your response? I hope that you'll say, Yes, yes, I want to help this church to shine bright around the world. So we're here in this missions conference right now. I ask you these questions. When it comes to praying for more missionaries, how is your commitment? You see, Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth more laborers. Have you been praying for more missionaries? How about praying for your missionaries? How's your commitment there? What about going and telling others about Jesus? Are you being a witness? You say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Are you a witness? Maybe God's calling some of you to be a missionary, to go out from this church and take the light of Jesus Christ. How is your commitment? And then when it comes to giving so that missionaries can go. Our missionaries are trained, they're ready, they're prepared. Let's get them out there quickly, quickly, by committing to the Great Commission and giving so that they can go. Let me close by this illustration. There was a man who was going to walk across the Niagara Falls on a tight, tight rope with a balance beam. So the announcer gets up there and says, this man's going to walk across Niagara Falls and come back holding the balance beam. How many of you want to see this? The crowd start gathering around. Oh, yeah, we're excited. This is good. And so he does. He goes across and he comes back. Everything's good. Then the announcer gets up and says, he's going to do it again. Now this time he's going to do it and he's going to hold a wheelbarrow and his balance beam going across that tight wire. How many of you would like to see this? Oh, yeah, they're cheering. They're excited. This is wonderful. And so he does it. He goes across with the wheelbarrow, comes back, everything's good. Then the announcer says, okay, he's going to do it one more time. This time he's going to hold the balance beam and the wheelbarrow and somebody's sitting in the wheelbarrow and go across and come back. How many of you want to see that? Oh, yeah, this is even getting better. This is exciting. This is wonderful. I can't wait to see it. And then he said, now who wants to be in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd got really quiet really quiet you know what that's what happens sometimes with faith promise missions giving we meet the missionaries and we love them we're excited about it we want to do something we hear their stories the opportunities are amazing and then when it comes time to make that promise to give so that they can go we kind of hold back and we get quiet can i encourage you this morning to get in the wheelbarrow get in the wheelbarrow trust in god have faith in him be used by him And what you do in giving to this church, if everyone will participate, it'll be amazing to see what God does around the world. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I've tried to encourage you this morning about the task of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He gave his son for us. Surely we can give to missions for him. Jesus gave it all. All to him I go. This morning, I want to ask you to please pray for more missionaries. We need more missionaries. We need young people, young couples to surrender and say, I'll take the light to those people who are in darkness. I'll take it. Would you pray? Would you pray for more missionaries? And then I ask you, to pray that everyone in this church will do something for missions. Even if it's a dollar, if it's a quarter, if it's for $10 a week or a month, whatever it would be, that everybody, would you pray that everybody would be convicted to do something for missions? And then I ask you this morning, if you've been giving to missions, I pray and you'll ask God to increase your faith so that you can do more. Oh, we have a big world out there waiting for the gospel. What are we going to do to help them reach it? What are we going to do? Let's stand together as I pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that you bless this time of invitation. We have sung our praises unto you. We have lifted you up. God, you're a great God. You're a mighty God. And yet half the world still has yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ. Oh God, help us to do what we can to reach them. We've preached your word. We've heard the needs of the world convict our hearts to do something for missions today. And now, God, we come to the time of invitation. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they'll step out and come and say, I've been in the dark. I need Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone that will say, God, I want to be a missionary. I want to take the light to the darkness. They'll step out and come during the invitation. And maybe, Lord, there's some people that need to come and pray and say, God, what would you have me to do? I want to do something. Let me know what I can do. Lord, as we come to this invitation, this time where we make decisions for you, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.